I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Our text today is verse 20 through verse 26, which is the end of chapter 2, in a message entitled, An Honorable Vessel. We're continuing in our series, Distinctives of a Gospel-Shaped Church. And in the verses leading up to our passage today, the Apostle Paul focused on the importance of workers for God who are not ashamed. Workers for God who are not ashamed will consistently remind people of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the importance of sound doctrine. Workers for God who are not ashamed will not fight unnecessarily about words and will emphasize the main thing. Workers for God who are not ashamed will correctly teach or divide the word of truth and in doing so will bear the characteristics of genuine salvation. In the verses before us today, we find a comparison of the church to a large house or to a great house. This is Paul's metaphor for the church, which he also refers to as God's household in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The church and the people who comprise it are the house of God. And it is a great house for several reasons. It is a great house because it belongs to God. God dwells in the house. He dwells in his people. He walks with us every step of the way, and he is the head of the church. It is a great house because it has been carefully planned by God. It is not haphazard in any sense. It is organized to carry out and to accomplish the purposes of God for his glory. And it is a great house because it was costly to build it. We have been secured by the blood of Jesus and by the power of his resurrection. And it is because of him and what he's done for us and in us that we get to be a part of this house of faith. And it is a great house because it is God's plan for the ages. God is gathering a family to himself. He is building his kingdom. He is displaying his glory for all the nations to see, and we get to be a part of that. So I want to pick up reading, and I want to read as we begin verse 20 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and here's what the Word of God says. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Here's the big idea. God's plan for every follower of Jesus is for us to be honorable vessels living and serving in the name of Jesus. And in this analogy of a large house, he's making a very simple point by way of illustration. In a large house, uh, there would be containers made of various materials for various purposes. Uh, And each of the containers would have different roles to fulfill. Gold and silver are the most expensive and the most valuable. Wood and clay were everyday materials that were used for cups and jars and pitchers in the first century. The vessels intended for honorable use are the ones that are identified as gold or silver ones. They are reserved for special meals and special events, special gatherings. And the focus is on being cleansed from being a dishonorable vessel in order to be an honorable vessel 
Honorable vessels will not be taken in by false teaching. Honorable vessels will not be controlled by sin or iniquity. Honorable vessels will be offered up to God for his use to be carried out in the world according to his plan. And then in verse 21, we find characteristics of what an honorable vessel will do. Now pick back up reading in verse 21. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So we find characteristics of an honorable vessel with the first being that an honorable vessel is set apart. It's set apart. Salvation includes regeneration. That's what happens to you at the new birth. When you are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you recognize your sin and your need for a savior and you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus, God does a work in you. He regenerates you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then in that regeneration, you are also justified. Justification is when God declares that you are righteous in Christ. So God imputes the righteousness of Jesus to your account so that when he sees you, he sees you not as the sinner that you were. He sees you through the righteousness of Jesus. He declares you as righteous before him because of what Jesus has accomplished by his blood. Sanctification is growth in moral purity and spiritual maturity. And then finally, glorification is the culmination of it all when one day we will be in the presence of God and the good work that God has started in us, he will have completed and we will see it all come together. Now, what about this phrase, set apart? Let's look a little bit more in depth at it. To be set apart means to be sanctified. To be sanctified or the idea of sanctification is not a common phrase that we use often in the modern age that we live in, unless, of course, we are biblical Christians and we understand what it means and we understand how it applies. But it basically means to be set apart as a progressive work of God. It means that God is purifying you and making you more like Jesus because you have been regenerated and justified in him. Now, holiness is a major topic in the Bible. The word holy appears 600 times in the Bible. If you add in the idea of uh, sanctification or to sanctify, it's more than 700 times in the Bible. And God's word says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 16, be holy for I am holy. To be set apart has several aspects to it. It has a past reality. It has a present application. And it has a future culmination. And here's what I mean by that. As a follower of Jesus, you have been sanctified. This is the beginning point of your sanctification. Paul put it this way when he spoke of the Corinthian salvation. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, he said, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. So he spoke of the Corinthians' salvation and the Corinthians' sanctification. 
as being past tense, accomplished, settled, certain because of the justification that came to them in Jesus Christ. Because we have been sanctified, we are dead to sin. It means that we are no longer under its rule. It does not have to dominate us. We are now alive in Jesus Christ, and we recognize what God has accomplished for us, set apart with Christ. But there's very much a present tense reality and application to this. Yes, we have been sanctified, but as followers of Jesus, we are being sanctified. And this is the progression of your sanctification. It is a a process that continues throughout your life with Jesus on this earth. Romans 8 and verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. As you walk with Jesus practically, and you apply the desire in your life, in the power of the Spirit in your life to grow in holiness and to be holy as God is holy, that is the progressive nature and the progression of your sanctification in Jesus. You are growing more and more to be like him. But there's also a future promise and hope that is connected to this. As followers of Jesus, we will be sanctified. This is the conclusion of your sanctification. When you're in heaven someday with God, your life on this earth is over, your Christian journey uh, from birth to death, spiritual rebirth, and then spiritual uh, physical death that follows that, and you're in the presence of God someday in heaven, it's all going to be complete. And the good work that God has started in you is going to be finished, and you will once and for all be sanctified in him. But in the meantime, it will never be complete in this life. You're always growing, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how far you progress in your faith, doesn't matter how much you learn, you're continually growing to be more like him. And here's what 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says, we are all being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. When you go to be in the presence of the Lord, your soul will be set free from indwelling sin and you will be complete in him eternally. So think about the blessing of being in the presence of God, not having to worry about temptation, not having to worry about sin, not having to worry about any of that, but we will be complete in him, in his presence. Now, what role does God have in our sanctification and what role do we have in our sanctification? This is really where it begins to practically apply. God takes the primary role in your sanctification. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. Jesus prayed that his followers would be sanctified by the word of God, which is truth. So God, the Holy Spirit works in you to sanctify you, to change your life, to grow you in greater holiness And then as a follower of Jesus, you also have a role in your sanctification. How do I know that? Because the scripture indicates that we are to purify ourselves according to verse 21. Purifying yourself from anything dishonorable so that you will be an honorable vessel. So a holy life is essential. 
And I believe that the key is to surrender to God and to keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the key to your spiritual life. Do you surrender to Him and all the things that are available to you in Christ, and then you seek to grow and to root out those things in your life that are unhelpful and unholy, to continually sharpen yourself in your faith, and that's your role in your sanctification. Now, part of our motivation as God's children now is that what we will be has not yet been revealed. I love the way John puts it in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 and 3. He says this, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And now listen to what verse 3 says, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him, listen to this phrase, purifies himself just as he is pure. We are looking forward to the future when we will be like Jesus and we will see him as he is. And we have this hope. And in the meantime, we purify ourselves because of the grace of God and because of the anticipation of being in the presence of God. So God's given us the provision for what we need, and then we act on it because we want to be like Jesus. Now, I love the way Ray Stedman uh, illustrated this. He said, suppose you have a little boy, and your little boy's been playing outside, and he's covered with dirt. He comes in, and you send him into the bathroom to get himself cleaned up, and like all boys, he turns on the water, he quickly runs his hands through it, he turns the water off, he wipes his hand on the towel, and he comes out and he says, uh, look, I, I washed my hands. And you look at him and you say, you aren't clean. He says, well, I washed myself. But you say, but look at the dirt on your hands and on your arms and on your face and behind your ears. You're not really clean at all. And then you say, did you use soap? And of course he didn't. So you send him back to use the soap. The soap is a purifying agent. It's a cleansing agent. It will do the job if he will only use it. So he goes in, he comes back out a second time, and now he's washed with the soap. And he says, look, I've cleaned myself up. Now here's the parallel. If he did so, it was by using the provision of the soap that you gave him, but he went in and used it and actually washed himself up and got clean. If we are to be clean before a holy God and we are to purify ourselves, it's because we have been purified in the blood of Jesus. It's because the Spirit of God is indwelling us. It's because the truth of God is guiding us. It's because the grace of God is empowering us. And we can be an honorable vessel that is set apart for him. And holiness and sanctification sometimes are not emphasized as much as they should be, even in the church. Now, it could be because of a weak understanding of what it means to fear God. It could be because it takes time and effort. It could be because we are impatient and growing in godliness is a slow process. It could be because of our pride and we don't like to be confronted with things that need to be changed and cleansed in our lives. But whatever the reason is, we should emphasize the reality of being set apart and then purifying ourselves because we want to be holy as he is holy. 
J.C. Ryle put it this way in his work on holiness. He said, we must be holy because this is the only sound evidence that we are truly children of God. Children in this world are generally like their parents. Some doubtless are more so and some less so. But it is seldom indeed that you cannot trace a family likeness of some kind. He says, and it is much the same with the children of God. So if he is right, and I think he is, that holiness is the only sound evidence that we are truly children of God. Is there evidence in your life that you are a child of God? An honorable vessel is set apart. But then second, an honorable vessel is useful. Look at verse 21 again. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, useful to the master. This denotes absolute lordship. Jesus as master and Lord is a title of respect. Lord is a commonly used title with the name of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew Bible, when it was translated into the Greek Septuagint, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, or Jehovah, was translated Kyrios, or Lord. Yahweh conveys deity. It implies aspects of his deity, of him being the creator, the owner, the ruler, the judge, the redeemer, the savior. He is Lord over all. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we come together today collectively as a church and then individually as believers and we say Jesus is Lord. That's part of what we do today is we come together and worship as we are declaring that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is master over all. And because of that, that changes how we live, and it helps us to be honorable vessels that are useful because we understand the role of Jesus and who he is, and we understand ourselves as his followers and under his lordship. Charles Hodge wrote this in his theology work. He said, the Greek word for Lord is indeed used in scripture in the sense of master, and as much as an honorary title would be, such as in English, using the word sir. But on the other hand, it is the translation of Adonai, meaning supreme Lord, an incommunicable name of God, and the substitute for Jehovah, a name that the Jews would not even pronounce. It is in this sense that Christ is the Lord, he's the Lord of lords, and he is the Lord God. Lord in that sense in which God alone can be Lord, having a dominion of which divine perfection is the only adequate or possible foundation. And then Hodge says this, Blessed are all who make this acknowledgement with sincerity, for flesh and blood cannot reveal the truth therein confessed, but only the Father who is in heaven. Jesus is Lord and he is the perfect, complete sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is Lord, and he rose from the dead to secure eternal life for us. 
Jesus is Lord, and he promises eternal life to all who will believe in him. And acknowledging Jesus as Lord is an aspect of saving faith. So today, if God has brought you here and you understand these things intellectually, and you understand the basics of what we're talking about, but you have not turned from your sins and turned to the Savior and acknowledged that Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life, that may be the very reason why God brought you here this morning. Because he has brought you to the point where you understand who God is and who you are and the separation between you and God because of your sin. And you understand that the only way that that separation can be changed is through Jesus and his shed blood on Calvary. The only way that you can be saved is through his resurrection power. Today, God is calling you to acknowledge Jesus as Lord as an aspect of saving faith. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 through 10 says, This is the message of faith which we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. When you repent of your sins and you follow Jesus, you are submitting to him as your master and as your Lord. Let me illustrate this idea from the scripture from Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion experience illustrates this very thing. Saul, as it was, was on the road to Damascus, resisting Jesus, persecuting the church. You remember he had been standing by and attending at the martyrdom of Stephen when Stephen was stoned and killed. And here was Paul on his way to Damascus on this journey and a light from heaven suddenly flashes around him. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked, who are you? Listen now, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 6. When Saul was confronted on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to persecute more Christians. He was on his way to do as much damage as he possibly could to the church. He was on his way to continue to oppose God in every way in terms of the Christian faith. And Jesus brought him to the ground. And when he surrendered to him, he surrendered to him as Lord. And it was transformative because he would be made into a special instrument as the apostle to the Gentiles. And he recognized the significance of calling Jesus Lord. And for us to be useful is to be capable of being put to use or to be valuable pertaining to being helpful or beneficial. So the call on our lives when we repent and we, we believe and we come and follow Jesus is to serve the Lord all the time, to serve the Lord with your whole heart, to serve the Lord with your soul, to serve the Lord with the entirety of your strength. It's to give him everything, not the leftovers. 
It's not to see your Christian life as something that is compartmentalized as when you have time or when you can get around to it or when it's convenient. No, Jesus is Lord of your life in every aspect. And I truly believe that most people want their life to count for something. And I believe that every genuine believer wants to live life with purpose and make a difference in the world. So here's my question for you. What do you want your life to count for? What do you believe God's purpose is for you? At least in part, uh, part of our purpose is the ministry of reconciliation. We live in a broken world where so many people are far from God. And we've been given this ministry of reconciliation to share the good news of Jesus with other people so that they can be in a right relationship with God. To be an ambassador of Jesus. Are you faithful in sharing how God has changed your life? When was the last time you told somebody, another individual, what God has done in your life through Jesus Christ? When was the last time you gave a witness, a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life? Friend, you can be useful to God and you can be a blessing in every aspect. You can be a blessing to your family first. You can be a blessing in your vocation. You think God gave you the natural abilities that he did and the intelligence that he gave you and the strength to work with? You think he gave you those things by accident? No, God gave you those things on purpose. And he wants you to use whatever realm of life that he has called you to and whatever vocation that he has equipped you for, he wants to use you for his glory. And I think we falsely separate the sacred from the secular. Everything's sacred if we're following Jesus as Lord. Every aspect of your life can be invested for God's glory. So in your vocation, you can be useful to God. You can be useful in the community. You can be useful in the church. You can be useful in the world. Why? Because an honorable vessel is useful. And then third, an honorable vessel is prepared. Verse 21 says, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument. Here's the phrase, prepared for every good work. What's a good work? It's every work which is good. Uh, What is the definition of good works? Well, the word that is translated as good means honorable. It means upright. It means pleasing to God. The idea is also used in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17 as something we are equipped for through God's word. Or probably the most well-known verse that might have already come to mind for you is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, of course, comes right after verses 8 and 9, which speak of our being saved by grace through faith and not of works. But then it says this in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I think there are often two extremes that come up in relation to our salvation. Both of these extremes are in error. One is thinking that you can somehow do enough good works to earn your salvation. That's the first error. 
The second error is thinking that there is no connection between your salvation and good works. Now hear me clearly. We are saved by grace through faith apart from any works on our part. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then salvation results in a life of good works. James chapter 2 and verse 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So let me say it this way. We do not do good works so that we can be saved. We do good works because we are saved. And God created us for good works, not because of our good works. The relationship is clear. And I believe that good works grow out of abiding with Christ and the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. Jesus said to his followers in John 15 and verse 16, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So good works include how you honor God with your life and worship of him. Your worship's not only what we do when we come together on uh, occasions like this and on the weekly worship gatherings on Sunday morning. Yes, it's part of it. This is our congregational worship. We're coming together because we've been instructed in the scripture to do so. And we want to be obedient to God to be faithful to assemble ourselves together. But all of life is worship. When you wake up in the morning and you go to your job, you should go for the glory of God because everything you do should be for the glory of God. And when you sit down with your family and you're just spending time with your family and you're trying to be a blessing with, to them, then you should be a blessing to them for the glory of God. So every aspect of your life in that regard is worship to God. And then good works include your witness to and your ministry to the unsaved. We've been instructed to love our neighbor as ourself. Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson, wrote this in a piece entitled The Problem of Goodness. He said, Christians understand that while all of us are born with the capacity to selfishness and cruelty, we are also capable of caring for others. Because we are created in the image of God, we not only don't have to struggle against our neighbors for survival, we can love them and we can even willingly die for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe good works include your ministry as well to the saved. We love one another as God has loved us. And I say to you, an honorable vessel is a prepared vessel. It's a vessel that's prepared for good works. Now let's pick back up reading in the longer section of this passage. You're going to see verse 22 on the screen, but I'm going to go through the end of the chapter. He says in verse 22, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, 
who has taken them captive to do his will. Let me give you a summary here of these verses. Run from darkness and run to the light. Run from darkness and run to the light. Paul gives us specific instructions and Timothy specific instructions to flee from these things that are unrighteous, all kinds of immorality, and to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then he turns once again to specific instructions for church leaders. Don't quarrel, but be gentle. Hope that in your way of dealing with people that God will grant your opponents repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth so that they can escape the trap of the devil. He says they need to be able to teach. They need to be able to carry out their responsibilities uh, in the church to be faithful and patient as they do that. And again, people are led to repentance and the church is blessed. I share this with you in closing. Uh, I think there's a parallel in what he speaks of here as we as the household of God and the temple in the Old Testament. Solomon's temple was referred to as a great house that was built for God. Today, we are a great house built for God as his people. Every great house needs a foundation. Solomon's temple had one and it was built on great stones. Our foundation is Jesus Christ And we are built on the chief cornerstone. Inside of the house are vessels. And each of the items of furniture in the temple had its own vessels. The brazen altar had some to remove the ashes. The table of showbread had some to bring the bread in. The candlestick needed oil, which had to be brought in vessels. The mercy seat and the altar of incense had to be sprinkled with blood from a vessel called a basin, and the laver would need water replaced that was lost due to washing and evaporation. All of the vessels of God's house were used for one ultimate purpose. And that one ultimate purpose was that they were used to serve the Lord. If we are vessels in God's household, honorable vessels, We will have one purpose, and that one purpose will be our service to the Lord. That's ultimately what we are being called to do as redeemed people is serve the Lord because he is worthy. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Maybe today you would have to be honest and say that you are not an honorable vessel because you have not come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That can change in a moment if you'd be willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Maybe today you need to meet Jesus as Savior and Lord. But maybe there's some things in your life as a Christian that are holding you back, that are hindering you from being a useful vessel, doing the good works that God prepared beforehand for you. 
Would you confess whatever that is as sin and ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you useful for him so there will be nothing as a believer in your life that is hindering your fellowship with him, your relationship with him, your service to him? How can we as the people of God be honorable vessels pursuing a life of holiness? This is the life God has called us to. God, thank you for loving us, being patient, showing abundant grace and mercy, completely undeserved. Lord, thank you for giving us your son, sending him into this world to live and to die and to now live again. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us as the house of God. Thank you for your word that is true and guides us in all things. And I pray that we would be surrendered and yielded to you in everything, that there would be nothing, Lord, that would hold us back. We want to be completely yielded to you, filled with the Spirit in all that we do. So I pray you would encourage your people here today. Help us to encourage one another. And Lord, ultimately help us just to be faithful. Help us to be faithful, Lord, to your call on our lives as we surrender ourselves up to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.